the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. The show is, the first part of the show is about estate planning. Today, and the second part of the show, a lot of times we talk about nostalgia, whatever it is, baseball, politics, religion, old movies. But today we're going to just do, be doing estate planning because next week we're going to be doing our tour of seminars. And we're going to be throughout Brooklyn and Queens and Staten Island, and we'll give the times and dates at the end of the show. Um, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, I think our main goal is to save assets from nursing home bills, especially the house. And I'm going to give a little bit of a preview of the seminar because I know some of you are not going to make it and some of you have been there before. But we're going to give you a little bit of a preview. And one of the reasons you may want to go to the seminar, even if listening to this is you may have your own questions. And Beth is going to ask some of the often asked questions when we go to the seminar. So that's one of the most interesting times because the people just go, oh, well, wait, what about this? And you can say it. All right. So we start every seminar with the most basic estate planning document. Everybody needs a will no matter what the circumstances. And, and a will is a writing witnessed by two people that disposes of assets in your name alone. It points an executor. And, of course, the executor is the person you choose to wrap up your legal financial business matters after you're gone. And that's one of the most important aspects of a will, appointing a person to be in charge. You don't want chaos. One of the questions is, why do I need a will if I have all of my bank accounts joint or in trust for or named beneficiaries on all my other assets. Why do I need a will? Well, everybody needs a will, and there, there are a variety of different reasons. And one of the stories I talk about at the seminar about a woman who was an SSI. 
she lived in what we used to call a welfare hotel. I guess today would be a migrant hotel. But she she didn't even own the furniture in the hotel room. She was an SSI. She collected about $800 a month in Social Security and had $2,000 in the bank. Her bank account was joint with her best friend. And why did she need a will? She had a $2,000 bank account. She had nothing else. She had a $800 a month Social Security. She lived in a welfare hotel. She didn't even own the furniture in the hotel room. So why could she possibly need a will? Now, she had a sister, but the sister was estranged. The sister never saw her because the woman on SSI was physically disfigured and her sister never visited her. So the woman on SSI had a good friend. The good friend would take her out to lunch every week. But most importantly, the good friend would make sure that she had a place to stay for the holidays. So what happens was in this welfare hotel, there was a devastating fire. The woman on SSI died in the fire. Other people were hurt. Lawsuits were brought. And guess what happened? Who gets the money from the lawsuit? The, the friend paid for the funeral. The friend went to the funeral. The sister didn't go to the funeral. But who gets the money from the lawsuit? The sister, because she's the next of kin by law. And, you know, to avoid something like that, you have a will. And if nothing else, you have the friend as executor to wrap up your business, financial, legal matters. Gone. Now, that's an extreme example, I know, but there are other things that happen. Uh, we had a case a few years back where a woman had, again, she had annuities. She had a beneficiary on all of her annuities. She had a $10,000 bank account that she didn't have a beneficiary on. Um, again, obviously, she died. There was no will. Her relatives had no contact or weren't interested in it. So her three friends who were beneficiaries on the annuities collected the annuities, but they couldn't get the items in her apartment because, again, she had no will. They had no authority. The relatives didn't want to get involved. So the public administrator gets appointed to handle the affairs. They take all the furniture, which she had some nice furniture. They took all the furniture. They, you know, basically threw it away. And the woman had rent being deducted from her checking account, $10,000. So the rent was deducted each month. And the $10,000 was completely lost because the rent payments were taken out of it. And nobody, by the time the public administrator went in and took control of the situation. A year had passed by almost. And before you know it, the $10,000 was gone. So $10,000 was thrown away. The furniture, which there was some nice, good furniture that some people could have used. I know furniture is not really worth much today, but there was some nice, good furniture that could have been used. And it just went to naught. And I mean, yeah, that's marginal. We had a $100,000 state. Maybe we lost about 20000 But why do you want to lose that? You have a will, you have an executor, the executor, even a, what we call preliminary executor, can have authority to go into the apartment, take care of the items, and not lose everything, which in this case we lost. Because, yes, the woman had $100,000 worth of annuities. She had three friends. They each got $33,000 and change. But we lost the checking account. We lost the furniture in the apartment. And, of course, the friends are not entitled to the furniture in the apartment because they weren't next of kin. And this pops up, and I just saw somebody the other day. You know, a will is a writing. It's not just a piece of paper that you sign it and whatever. So 
If you have a piece of paper, I give my furniture to my friends. That's not a will. A will is a writing witnessed by two people that's witnessed in accordance with the laws of the state of New York. And it's not the most difficult thing in the world, but at the same time, it's not that easy. It has to be done right. And, you know, some people think they, well, I'll get my signature notarized. And I can't believe this sometimes, but notary sometimes, oh, yeah, this is okay. This is good. At least I hear that they say that. And uh, when you take the notary exam, they know that you're taught that the notary on the will by itself is not enough. A will has to be witnessed by two people who are willing to testify that they witnessed a will in accordance with the laws of the state of New York. It's not just a piece of paper. You put your name on it and, you know, don't follow any formalities. So, again, everybody should have a will. And, again, you go back, everything's joined or something. We just gave two examples. A third example, you know, you're walking on Fifth Avenue. You cross the street. You get hit by a car. There's a lawsuit after you're gone. Who handles the lawsuit? Who's going to get the money from the lawsuit? And, you know, a lot of people don't think even like husband and wife and they have children. Um, husband might think, well, if I pass away and there's a lawsuit and accident, it's all going to my wife, isn't it? No. Part of that lawsuit, part of your estate, goes to your children. So if you don't have a will in New York, half of the assets that are in your name alone will pass to your spouse, but the other half will pass to your children. And I'm using rough numbers on that. It's $50,000 goes to the wife and half of the rest. So let's say we have somebody, let's say September 11th, we have somebody, a million dollars went through their estate. The first $50,000 went to the wife, spouse, half of the rest, so let's say $475,000 then went to the spouse, and $475,000 went to the children. Well, maybe that's good or bad. Let's say the children, let's say they're under the age of 18. Let's say they're 19. Do you want a 19-year-old to get control of a $475,000 inheritance? No strings attached. And again, that's why a lot of people, especially people with children, under the age of 18 should have a will. If nothing else, you want to appoint a guardian to protect those children in case something happens to you. And let's say you have a divorced couple, a husband and wife. Wife has children, is living with the children. She has custody. Um, she doesn't have a lot in assets, but she passes away. She probably wants to appoint somebody from her family to step in her place to be guardian of those children, at least to have standing to take care of those children, to do be able to do something in case the, the spouse is not a suitable parent for those children. And, you know, and, and even in the case where you have a husband and wife and they both get along, you still, if something happened to both of them, which doesn't happen often, but it does happen, that you have somebody in place to be the guardian of those children. There, There's so many things. If you pass away, I think most of you seen this, if you pass away in your apartment, you pass away in your house and nobody else lives in the house or the apartment, the police put a seal in front of your apartment or the door of your house, and basically people are denied access to that apartment, to that house. If you have a will, it's going to be a little bit easier to get that seal taken off if you have an executor in place. And, of course, one of the problems sometimes if you don't have a will and you don't have a named executor, people sit around and do nothing for too long a period of time and assets waste away. Again, everybody should have a will. If we plan things right, if we do plan things right, hope we won't need a will. It's only a backup. In a lot of cases, people own a car. And, you know, you're not going to put somebody else's beneficiary on your car. Your insurance rates may go up too high. 
So the car may be in your name alone. That, in theory, passes through your will. Your jewelry, you, you may have jewelry that's worth something. You may not. But where do you want your jewelry to go? Where do you want your furniture to go? Where do you want your mementos to go? I mean, furniture, again, is usually not worth money, but your mementos might be, even if it's not worth financially, where do you want your pictures to go? And, I mean, this is usually not a problem, but let's say you have a pet. Where do you want your pet to go? Uh, Auto. Yeah. You should should have something in place. Everybody should have a will. And and I can't stress that enough. I can give you, you know, a hundred more examples, but then we're going to use the whole time allotted on the show. But everybody does need a will and, and take it on faith. We want to plan it that, you know, we don't need the will to transfer assets. The most of the assets are in somebody else's name when you pass away, whether it's in trust or whatever. And we're going to be talking about a trust in a few minutes. Now, another important document that we start with and talking about is a power of attorney. And a power of attorney is a very important document, especially between a husband and wife. Um, and this is the big question we get. If I'm married, why do I need a power of attorney? Well, a lot of people think if you're married, a spouse has an automatic right to sign the other one's name. And that's really not the law in New York State. Spouses get divorced. Spouses are separated. Um, if Give an example. Let's say husband, again, has a stroke. He's physically disabled to the point where he can't read or write or sign his own name. He's totally incapacitated. Let's say the wife is there. A um, couple of different things. Wife wants to sell the house. She can't sell the house without a court order. And, you know, let's say the deed is joint, husband and wife. The wife can't just sell the house. She can't sign her husband's name. She has to have, if he's incompetent, she has permission of the court. And court system works relatively slowly. It's a slow process. So she may try to sell the house. She may not be able to complete the deal if she doesn't have a power of attorney. Now, if the husband planned in advance and he did have a power of attorney, yes, she could sign a deed signing her husband's name and sell the property. Let's say the husband, and you say, well, all the bank accounts are joined, so I don't have to worry about that. That's probably true. But if you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, um, those accounts are not joint by nature. They're retirement accounts. They're in your name alone. So again, the husband has a stroke. Wife wants to access the husband's IRA to pay some bills. She can't do that without a power of attorney. So if he's incompetent, we have to go to court. And there are a lot of problems with court. I mean, I talk about one specific case. A husband was 62 years of age. He didn't have a power of attorney. And his wife wanted to, he had $800,000 in his name alone. Wife had to go to court to access that money. He was in a nursing home. There was a nursing home being, had to be paid. Now we'll go through nursing homes in a little while. But she couldn't access the money in that account. So she had to pay the nursing home bill at the time. It was $11,000 a month. It took the courts nine months to sign the order, allowing her to transfer the assets from husband and wife to wife. No legal problems, just the normal court system and delays. And so nine times 11, it cost her $99,000 because her husband didn't plan in advance. Now, he was only 62. He didn't plan in advance, didn't have his wife on power of attorney, and it cost her. 
And of course, a lot worse things can happen. And we're going to talk about Medicaid a little bit later in the show. But Medicaid, you really do need a power of attorney if you're going to access the Medicaid laws, you know, properly. So I think we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You listen to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Well, we have another question to start off. Um, what is the difference between a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy? Okay, a healthcare proxy is to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. A power of attorney usually is from financial, business, legal, transferring assets, accessing records, and you can't access medical records with a power of attorney. But a healthcare proxy is who's in charge of making medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. It's a writing witnessed, you know, by two people. It's not an extremely formal document. Basically, you know, I have never seen a healthcare proxy uh, not accepted by a hospital or doctor or whatever. So, you know, social workers do it all the time. Yeah, if you do come into our office and we do a will and power of attorney, ordinarily we would throw in a healthcare proxy because it's in our system and then we can later scan it or email it to a hospital or whatever, something like that. And one of the reasons a healthcare proxy is important 
Uh, those of you who remember the Terry Schiavo case a few years back, very tragic case, 35-year-old woman went into a coma. She wasn't on tubes. She wasn't, she was on a feeding tube, I'm sorry, but she wasn't on a respirator. She wasn't hooked up to machines. She was on a feeding tube, period. Her husband wanted her, you know, to be taken off the feeding tube and effectively, effectively being starved to death. And that's a blunt way of doing it, but that's, I think, what you have to say it bluntly because that's what it is when you withdraw the feeding tube. You're starving something, somebody to death. And her parents wanted her kept alive, wanted the feeding tube to keep going. She's still alive. They wanted her to be alive. Well, this went to court. Ordinarily, the next of kin is able to make the decisions as far as court is concerned, so that gave the husband the upper hand. But there was a lot of support for the parents because... You know, they wanted to keep their daughter alive, and there was a lot of sympathy for that. So it took the court 14 years to resolve the matter. And if you have a health care proxy, at least you can choose the person to make those decisions as if you would make it yourself. And, you know, so whoever has the same philosophy of life, you can choose that person. And, and just to make, you know, a personal note about it, uh, Beth, you can comment on this, but we saw uh, a nun who was a surgeon, oh, and my she was talking about some cases where, you know, some distant relatives were healthcare proxies, and people were in effect euthanized with the feeding tube withdrawn. And personally, I, I think people, you know, they're they're too callous, or they don't think enough when they start making out their instructions. They say, "I don't want A, I don't want B, I don't want to be, I don't want C," but you got to give it some thought because life is precious and you don't want to be in a position where maybe you're euthanized. Maybe you do. Maybe some people say if, if I'm that I'm, old, I want to kill know, myself, but I, it's, it's, it's not my it's, philosophy. It's heartbreaking because here's, we had, I mean, this particular speaker that we saw had a video of a woman that was saying um, she did not, you know, first of all, she thought, you know, she was going to be getting better, whatever. Then then she said, then, and it was progressive, like every about every week or so, they'd go visit her. And she said, something's wrong with my legs. I don't know what's wrong with my legs. And then you'd come the next time, and then they'd say, they've, this isn't the, I know they're giving me too much medication. And the next thing, and they're saying, I don't want to be here. I want to go... I don't, I want to go to another hospital. I want to go someplace else. And during this whole process, they were indeed killing her. Now you have somebody who is alert. Like I say, this was videotaped. She was alert. She was not being prompted. And she was saying that she did not, she, what's going on to me? The, what's, what are these people doing to me? I don't want to be here. I want to be transferred someplace else. I I don't think uh, I know maybe I'm wrong, but I mean I don't think this is rare. I think the idea of euthanization is just becoming well. That's you know it's better it's better for the person. You know if I get if I'm you not want feeling the person good, to suffer. That's the general idea. That I know, but if you have somebody that's just talking, then you we've worked with with wonderful hospice people. You know. My parents died from cancer. You know, I mean, hospice, 
can keep you going without pain until you pass away. That you don't you don't have to kill the person that that gives more time. When my mother died, Christmas time she she found out she had inoperable cancer, and Easter is when she right after Easter she passed away, and Michael young he was a little little kid. We went down there and we stayed with her, and. My family is from Louisiana, but Dad had opened up his medical practice in Texas, and I contacted between Christmas and Easter her friends in Louisiana, her family, and people would come see her, and she could say goodbye. Um, there are there are ways to killing someone is not the way to do it. Okay, well, again, strongly recommend you do a healthcare proxy where you name the person who has the same philosophy as life as you do. Now, some people say, well, do I need a living will? Technically, you don't need a living will. You need a health care proxy. A living will is a statement of wishes of how you want to be treated in the event of a t- usually in the event of a terminal illness. Uh, I am not a strong believer in a living will because you can never get all the facts in a row that will match your case. Yes, if you're 98 and you got cancer – you probably don't want to be resuscitated if you have a heart attack. But that's clear. But if you're 65 years old and you have a heart attack, do you want to be resuscitated? Uh, and I, we've seen people that resuscitate. We've seen people in comas that come out of a coma and live another 20 years. Right. There's not a right answer ahead of time. But, you know, say a prayer and hope to, to do the right thing and, you know, we go from there. But in any event, you should have a health care proxy where you choose somebody to make medical decisions on your behalf. And one of the things that's popping up recently was a problem because children get in trouble now. But if you have a child under the age, over the age of 18, I'm sorry, let's say going to college, something stupid happens. They get in a drug overdose. Parents want to get the medical records. They can't do it without something in writing. And in some cases, it's important for a child going to college over 18. If you're under 18, the guardian has a right to the records. But if you're over 18, that child is an adult. And maybe that child, before they go off to college, should sign a health care proxy to their parents to allow their parents to get access to their medical records, talk to their doctors if, if something happens. So I just want to give that a thought. And, you know, like years ago, we never even thought of, of having, you know, people 18, 19 years old sign health care proxies. But strange things happen in their world. And, of course, there could be a car accident or something like that. Well, and when parents walk in, it's almost as if they're strangers. Well, I'm sorry, you're, well, that that doesn't mean to do. Do you have anything signed saying that, that you can act on it? They don't care. Yeah. I guess Especially if you're in a hospital or nursing home. Is this legal? You know, family doctors usually have a better way of handling it. But sometimes if you're in a nursing home or a hospital, especially where you don't know anybody, uh, again, you might be treated as a stranger. Okay, so will have attorney health care proxy. Those are the basic starting points for estate planning. Next thing, we're going to talk about probate. And probate is if and when you pass away, you will pass away. So when you pass away, if there are assets in your name alone, in other words, you didn't put them in a trust, you don't have a name beneficiary, it's not transfer on death, it's not in trust for, it's not joint, if you have an asset, it's in your name alone. It goes through court. If you don't have a will, it goes through court administration. If you do have a will, 
it goes through probate. And one of the problems about probate, everybody who's your next of kin by law has to be officially notified and given an opportunity to contest the will. And here's the big question. If I don't name somebody in my will, why do they have to be notified when I'm gone? Because the short answer is it's the law in New York State. So if if you're, let's say we've got a husband and wife. Husband dies, house automatically passes to wife. There's no court proceeding. There's no probate. But let's say the wife dies and the, the house is in her name alone when she dies. That house goes through probate. And let's say she has a will leaving it to her nephew and niece, but let's say she has 10 other nephews and nieces. Every one of those 10 nephews and nieces has to be officially notified whether they're in the will or not, and some people don't realize it. And that's one of the problems we could have with probate. You know, in some cases, if you have 10 nephews and nieces, obviously out of 10 people, one of them is not going to consent to your will. And if they don't consent to your will, it goes to court. It could even go to trial. In today's world, as, as a practical matter, things don't go to trial. It gets settled. But if one of the nephews and nieces files objections to the will, really in, in some cases, what I might consider frivolous grounds objects to the will, to the probate of the will, in all likelihood, they will get a settlement. And is it right? Is it fair? Maybe not. But it's what the law is. So if you want to deal with that to avoid probate, when you pass away, you have no assets in your name alone when you pass away. Because everybody who's your next of kin by law must be officially notified. And yeah, if you have two kids and get along, probate may not appear to be that bad. Both kids consent. But we had cases in Brooklyn during COVID where let's say you had a house woman leaves a house to her two children. There are no other children. There's nobody else that has to be notified. The two children obviously both consent to the will. They work together. They're co-executors. And you think, oh, it shouldn't take that long to be able to sell the house. Well, in, in Brooklyn, there were some cases where it would take during COVID. And, you know, we're talking about outbreaks of COVID coming back now. It would take two years to go through the court proceeding probate. Just the red tape and the bureaucracy and delays accompanied with uh, COVID. So do you want your children to wait two years to be able to sell your house? No. And that's why we want to avoid probate on your house. And the way to do that is through a trust agreement. We're going to talk about a trust agreement you know, a little bit later. And e even without COVID, there's red tape and paperwork in the will. And you might think your will is perfectly fine. There are no problems with it and everything else. But you did it years ago. And... The, there was not an affidavit attached to the will that was notarized. And then you got to try to find the witnesses today. And that sometimes causes a problem. Uh, and if the witnesses died and there's no affidavit that they signed the will, you might have to try to notify the witnesses. You can't find them. You might have to get somebody who knew the witnesses and they have to sign affidavits. That's my father's, that's my mother's handwriting. And... You know, you, you could do something that you think is not a problem. You could take the staples out of a will to make a photocopy, and that's going to cause a delay because the court's going to be interested to know, did somebody tamper with the will? Did they take one page out and put another page in, which, believe me, has happened to me. You know, I've seen it happen to, to some of the wills. One will that I remember that I did. Somebody took out the first page, entirely substituted it, 
attached it to the other two pages of the will, did it fairly clumsily, had different typeface. This is when the things were typed, not word processed. And it was obvious, but that's where the court picked it up. But the court is going to take a look at it if the staples are taken out of the will. Did somebody insert one page and put another one in? And that's going to cause a delay. And, you know, the, one of the problems we had during COVID is if somebody had a, a, a co-op and they had a mortgage, and usually there's not a lot of equity in the co-op. So let's say you had a $500,000 uh, co-op and you had a $400,000 loan on it. So you're paying the mortgage on it. You're paying the maintenance on it. And before you know it, a, two years passes by and the equity in the apartment is next to nothing. And people lost the equity in that apartment um, just because of the situation, not doing anything wrong. So you... You, you, when you pass away, you don't want assets in your name alone. Now, if you have a deed to the house, it's easy to put a deed to the house into a trust. If you own a co-op, and this is one of the problems of owning a co-op, you have to get permission of the co-op board to transfer the asset into a trust. And, and that can be cumbersome, in some cases expensive. You know, But if, if you do own a co-op, you may want to talk to your management agent, your board, and see what the procedures are for transferring your co-op, your cooperative apartment into a trust. Because the difference between a co-op and a house, if you have a house, you have a condo, you have a deed. You can sign a deed, you're pretty well, there's no restrictions. If you have a co-op, you have a shares of stock certificate, and you can't transfer those shares of stock certificate without board approval. And that is cumbersome, but if you own a co-op, talk to your board, see what the requirements, the restrictions are to change that co-op, change the stock certificate, and put it into a trust. Now, we're going to be taking a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You asked the lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hey, everybody. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. The next thing we're going to be talking about is is real estate. And, you know, because it's pretty easy to avoid probate on bank accounts. You put somebody else's name on the account, you avoid probate. Real estate, it's not quite as easy. So let's go through an example right now. Let's say we have a husband and wife. They own a house together. Let's say it's worth a million dollars. Husband dies. House automatically passes to wife. There's no court proceeding. There's no probate. The wife can probably sell the house tax-free. And... You know, let's give the example. It's worth the house is worth a million dollars. Husband dies, the wife gets uh, a stepped-up basis on her husband's half of the house, which the stepped-up basis means if you own an asset on the time on the day you pass away, the value of that for tax purposes, your tax basis goes to the date of death value. So the husband owned half the house, million-dollar house. His basis in the property is five hundred thousand dollars. The wife gets that basis of five hundred thousand dollars. Now, assuming it's the personal residence of the couple, the wife gets $250,000 tax-free on the sale of her personal residence. And if she sells within two years of her husband's passing, then at that point, she gets another $250,000. She gets a million dollars tax-free. And they will factor in the improvements of the house, what they originally paid for the house and things like that. So very easily, without breaking a sweat, she can sell that house for a million dollars tax-free, probably more. And if the house is worth more, we get a higher stepped-up basis. So um, probably at least $1.2 million, $1.3 million can go out tax rate. Um, now, so the wife is not going to have a problem selling the house. She can sell the house with a death certificate, and that's basically it, and the, the deed that she has. The problem is if she dies, never changes the deed while she's alive, that house is going to be a probate asset. And when you go through probate, again, all your relatives have to be notified. Problems in some cases. Anybody who's your next of kin by law can contest your will and screw up the planning. You know, and God forbid you don't have missing relatives, which then could take forever to get through court. Or if you have your next of kin is incompetent, let's say, you have a husband who has Alzheimer's, or son or daughter who's got a disability where they can't sign a consent. That probate is going to take a very, very long time. So we want to avoid probate. So here's what happens. This situation, the surviving spouse, what does she do? Well, what she should do is put the house in a trust. What's a trust? It's a family contract. It's your house. As long as you're alive, after you're gone, it goes to the children. Capital gains are wiped out because you get the stepped-up basis after you're gone, which we talked about earlier. The children, let's say your house, you paid $100,000 for your house 30 years ago. It's worth a million dollars on the day you pass away. Your children sell the house for a million dollars. They put a million dollars in their pocket. Uh, There's no court proceeding. There's no probate. Now, as far as estate taxes go, and I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about estate taxes later, but New York State... The estate tax, death tax in New York State, as of January 1st, will be almost $7 million, $6,909,000. Today was at a meeting, and, you know, I was telling the the client that the estate tax was going to be close to $7 million, which means if you're under $7 million, you don't pay a tax. And then one of my CPAs says to me, it's (laughs) $6,909,000. 
Be precise. <laughs> well, I have a tendency to go in round numbers, whatever. And now the federal estate tax is twelve million nine hundred thousand. I got to look up what it's going to be next year. I'm sure the index amount for inflation has been set, but it's probably going to be way over thirteen million dollars next year. So if we're under that number, we don't have to worry about estate taxes. If you're over those numbers, seven million dollars in New York State, thirteen million dollars federally, then we got to do some planning and we got to work a little bit. And we can talk about that. If you want to schedule an appointment that like that, give us a call at seven one eight two three eight sixty five hundred. And we can talk about – I don't want the government getting any of your money. I don't want the government to get more money from me than I need to have to pay. I pay enough in taxes, and I think you probably pay enough in taxes. So the, our job is to try to keep the money out of the government and put it in your kids' hands. Now, again, the best way if you have real estate is to put the house in a trust. All right. Well, here's the big question. Instead of doing a trust, why not just transfer the house directly to, say, your kids? Okay. There are a lot of problems with that. And I don't know if I can even if we even have enough time in the rest of the hour to get through them all. All right. You transfer your house to your son. He's married. He dies before you. Who owns part of your house, no matter how you word it? The daughter-in-law. Right. And you may not be crazy about that, especially when she gets remarried a couple of years later. And part of your house may go to a stranger. And bad things do happen. And you can't completely disinherit a spouse in New York. So no matter how you word it, if you put your son's name on the deed, his wife may have a claim on the estate. Your daughter's married to a businessman. He's taking expenses and deductions off his tax return. He shouldn't be taken. Your daughter files a joint return. They're married. The IRS orders their return. The IRS puts a lien on their assets. The IRS has a lien on your house. You can't sell a mortgage your house until that IRS lien is paid. And believe me, don't think you can change it deed back, and the IRS is not going to know about it. The IRS knows everything. We hate the IRS. The IRS knows everything. They know where you are right now. Oh. You know, your cell phone is pinging. They know where you're right now. That's where some people get in trouble saying they live in a certain place where they don't live. You know, because if you get ordered, the IRS knows where your cell phone pings. They know where you make credit cards. They know your heating bills in your different houses, your air conditioning bills. They know where you live. There's no there's no hiding that. If they come after you, are you automatically guilty first? Yes. With the IRS, it works that way. <sighs> you know, so, all right. But, but getting back to why we're not putting the, the deed. I mean, this was a, you know, a case that hit the uh, Daily News a few years ago. But an elderly woman in, in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, and, you know, if you know the neighborhood, the house was worth $2 million back then. It was a few years ago. So she's 95 years old. She puts the house in her daughter's name. Daughter's 75. Uh, You know, she's 95. What's going to happen? Daughter dies. She has a son. Son inherits the house. Now, back then, on a $2 million house, son had to pay $100,000. This is the grandson, right? Grandson, then. But he's got to pay $100,000 estate tax on this $2 million house. He doesn't have the money to do it. Plus, not only that, he's got a $2 million house. Um, he wants to sell it. So he says, Grandma, hey, deed's in my name. You got to move. The headline in the Daily News, hit the bricks, Granny. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, and that, bad things happen when you just put somebody else's name on the deed. You don't do it. You do a trust agreement. The trust agreement's going to say the house goes to your son and your daughter. If your son dies, his share in the house goes to your grandchildren, not his wife. It's going to protect you in case... Your daughter gets sued, IRS, 
maybe your son's driving a car and he hits a school bus and children are injured. It'll protect you against that. It may even protect it against your lawsuit if something happens to you. If you're driving a car, you know, sometimes there are elderly people that are driving that shouldn't be driving. But at least if their assets are in a trust, those assets are protected from those lawsuits. You know, hopefully you can convince your elderly relative not to drive. But I've been there enough times where people take the car keys away and dad goes and gets another set of car keys or buys another car or does whatever. So, um, you know, we you it is an asset protection. You never know you don't want to right. hurt people's feelings. Right. And that's a big deal to take the car keys away. Yeah. So you do a trust. The house goes out tax-free, free of capital gains. Again, the state taxes are – there's no estate tax in New York. Right now it's $6,580,000, going up to almost $7 million the first of the year. So if you're alive another 90 days – uh, it's going to be seven million dollars, and that's seven million for husband, seven million for wife. So ninety percent of our clients, ninety percent, ninety-eight percent of our clients, we can get out tax-free, and that's the best way to go. How we word the trust, the trust can be worded however you want it to word. If you ask me, can I do this in the trust? Can I do that in the trust? We can do it. Do you want to say that in your trust, you don't want the house to be sold until your dog dies? Because you don't want your dog to be homeless? Yes, we can do that. There was a case in Florida a few years back. $4 million mansion could not be sold until the dog died. And six staff members were kept on salary to keep the dog into the lifestyle to which the dog had become accustomed. You think this is a problem? <laughs> it's not a problem, but I'm asking. If somebody says, if I want to do this in the trust, I want to do that in the trust, you can do it. You tell me what you want, we can put it in writing. You can do virtually anything in a trust. Now, we can word the trust in such a way to protect it from medical bills. Uh, so I, I would encourage most people that have stable, stable family situations to do that. It's called an irrevocable trust. Some people call it a Medicaid qualifying trust. But if you want to protect it from medical bills, we can do that. So if, if you want to avoid probate, protect your house from medical bills, nursing home bills. And the average cost of a nursing home in New York is well over $15,000 a month. You know, we can do that. Now, we do spend more time on Medicaid than we can today, but we're running out of time. Medicaid, there are a lot of good programs in Medicaid, and that's one of the reasons you need a PAV attorney. So let's say a husband has a stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. Let's say you do have a PAV attorney and went with the, pro the, with the problems we have. If you don't have one, wife can transfer the assets from husband and wife to a spouse refusal. Husband can get Medicaid. I thought there was a five-year look-back period. Yeah, there is a five-year look-back period. If you apply for medical assistance, Medicaid, to pay for your nursing home bill, you have to document all your transactions for five years prior to your application for benefits. But there are certain exceptions to the five-year rule. One, transfers between spouses are exempt from penalty under the five-year rule. So if husband transfers everything to wife, wife signs spouse refusal, husband gets Medicaid. The wife better protect her assets because they're out on a limb, but at least the first step is taken care of. If you have a disabled child, transfers to a disabled child are exempt from penalty. And you might say, well, I don't have a child. All my children are in their 50s. If you have a child collecting Social Security disability, they are a disabled child. We put assets in trust for them. It can be protected from medical bills. And, dis you know, sometimes we have police officers, firemen, 
The police officer goes to gym three days a week, but he's collecting disability. He can be a disabled child if he's over 55, and we can transfer assets to him or in trust for him, and we can include the brothers or sisters, your other children in the trust, protected from nursing home bills. If you have a child living in the same house with you for two or more years, what we call a caretaker trial, that's exempt from penalty under the five-year look-back period. So if you have, let's say, a mother-daughter, daughter's been living with mom for more than two years, daughter's taking care of mom, and that's very liberally construed. If we put the house in a trust, mom and daughter both live in the house. Nursing home cannot touch the house. They cannot force you to sell your own house. Medicaid cannot put a lien on the house after you're gone if we have a son or daughter living in the house for more than two years. And when we say child, child can be any age. We, you know, we had a 99-year-old mother, 75-year-old daughter, 75-year-old daughter had cancer. We transferred the assets from the 99-year-old mother to the 75-year-old daughter, and those assets were protected from nursing home bills. Transfers to a disabled child are exempt. A homestead can be exempt if you transfer it to a child who's living in the same house or in trust with a child living in the same house for two or more years. doesn't matter if it's co-op, condo, or co-op, but again, remember with a co-op, we have to go through the board to get the proper permission. Also, if you have a brother or sister living in the same house for, you know, one year or more, sharing expenses on the house, if we have a brother or sister living in the same house for one or more years, we transfer that in the house to trust with a brother or sister living in the house for one or more years. That asset is protected from medical bills. We talked about estate taxes, estate and gift taxes. There's no gift tax right now under $13 million, $12 million and change. The number's going to go up again next year, January 1st. Again, there's no New York State death tax under $7 million, $7 million for husbands, $7 million for wives. So usually we can work those to our advantage and get virtually every, all of our families out tax-free. And, and I'll give you one example right now. Let's say... For the sake of argument, you have a husband and wife. They die this year. Husband died earlier in this year. He has a $7 million estate. Leaves everything to his wife. His wife dies, let's say this year, $7 million estate. New York State is going to charge that family $700,000 in taxes. Now, with the trust where we divide everything in two parts between husband and wife, we can get almost $7 million out tax-free for the husband. $7 million out tax-free for the wife. And somebody said, I must have misheard him on that tax. The problem in New York, if you die over, and today, this year, the number is $6,580,000. If you're over that amount, they tax the entire estate. Yes, next year it's going to go to $7 million, but you got to live till next year. But even then, I haven't figured out the tax rates next year on, let's say, a seven what. $7,100,000 state, but it's probably going to be even a $7,100,000 state is probably going to be like $150,000 in taxes. So that's going to conclude my part of it. But Michael, you want to tell the audience where our seminars are going to well, be next week? Yep. You just got a teaser as to what the seminars go over. <laughs> and what we're going to have going on is Monday, October 16th, 3 o'clock p.m. and 7 o'clock p.m. at the Greenhouse Cafe right here in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, 7717 3rd Avenue. Tuesday, October 17th, 2023, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Buckley's Restaurant and Caterers, 2926 Avenue S, Brooklyn. Wednesday, October 18th, 2023, 11 a.m. and 3 o'clock p.m., the Adria Hotel and Conference Center, 22117 Northern Boulevard, Bayside. 
Thursday, October 19th, 2023, 3 o'clock p.m. and 7 o'clock p.m., Connolly's Corner, 7117 Grand Avenue, Maspeth. And finally, Friday, October 20th, 2023, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., DeLuca Stratoria, 616 Forest Avenue, Staten Island. Okay, now, again, if you want to attend one of our seminars, please give us a call. We want to have the room set up for the number of people that attend. We want to know how many packets of materials we need to bring. Uh, But obviously, there's no charge for the seminar. But please call so we know how many people are going to be there so we can be properly prepared, you know, for, for those of you there. And again, ask your questions at the end. I stick around. We'll ask the questions from the floor. If you have a semi-private question, you know, we can break off in a corner of the restaurant or hotel and try to ask you questions. At our number, 718-238-6500. All right. See you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.